Let me read a verse of scripture. This is found in Isaiah 7 and 3. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and she are Jeshub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. God, it's life. I just ask you, God, that you speak to us and through us. God, help us to be all that you've desired us, what you've planned for us to be. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the scripture that I read, let me explain what's happening. The king of Syria and the king of Israel, before I've read this passage, before this time, and they have already attacked Judah at different times, and they were successful in their attack. So now they have teamed up, and the idea is they're going to besiege Jerusalem, Judah's capital, and they're going to set up their own king. They're going to get rid of the house of David and the lineage of David. They, they're going to remove Ahaz, who is the king of Judah at this time, and they're going to install their own king. Ahaz doesn't know what to do. It's not like he's really, uh, you know, he's, he's messed up at times. How many of you have ever messed up at times? You know, when you mess up, do you ever notice that when you, when, when you haven't messed up, how, how quickly you are to be able to go to God and ask God for help? But when you've messed up, you kind of feel like a little, you know, you're kind of like a kid got caught with his hand in a cookie jar, you know, and you're afraid to hold your head up, and you're, sometimes you're afraid to ask. And yet, God doesn't operate that way. Matter of fact, the scripture talks about Paul told us, he said, look, he said, you know, when our heart can, doesn't condemn us, then we have perfect peace toward God, but even it, or perfect confidence toward God. But even when our, if our heart does condemn us, he said, God's bigger than your heart is. In other words, he's bigger than the guilt you're feeling. He's bigger than the mess that's going on in your mind, and you just have to trust him. So Ahaz doesn't seem to be calling out to God. So what God does is God calls out to Ahaz. God sends Isaiah the prophet to Ahaz, and he says to Isaiah, I want you to take your son. I pronounced his name once. I'm not doing it again. His name means a, uh, the remnant or a remnant shall return. In other words, God is going to have a people. Say it with me. God's going to have a people. Try that one more time. God's going to have a people. Now, that look, look your neighbor right in the eye and say, I'm one of them. So you've got to make up your mind that you're going to be one of those people. So he sends to Ahaz to let him know Isaiah's son is a, uh, a sign for him. And he lets Ahab know. He said, don't be afraid of these people. But I got to look in at where he tells Isaiah to meet Ahaz. The Bible said it was at an upper pool, but here's a phrase I want you to get, at the end of the conduit. I want to speak to you for just a little while today on this topic, at the end of the conduit. Any of you ever done any plumbing? If you are, you're not admitting it, are you? 
And it's, and, and you, you know, you, you're trying to, the, the conduit has got to stay clear. You know, you want everything flowing right. And I, I, I thought about, I thought, you know, he took his son and his son's name was significant. And I can't help but think that the place that they're meeting is significant. I think God is trying to communicate something to Ahaz there as well. He's saying, I'm going to meet you at the end of the conduit. And I got, about, I got to thinking about the conduit that God has. I need some help. Uh, Paul, everybody say God. What's that say? God. All right, everybody say God. So now I'm not at the end of the conduit. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, leave it. I'm not at the end of the conduit. I'm at the beginning of the conduit. In the beginning, God. Thank you. In the beginning, God. God is the source of all life. He's the source of all things. But God is in the beginning, so God wants to meet us at the end of a conduit. And I, I started thinking about the people that are in that conduit. There was a guy by the name of Adam that was in that conduit. Is anybody in here named Adam? Ray, you'll work. <laughs> he just had a name change. Help him out there. God knows where we fit. Everybody say, God knows. And now Adam's the very first man. God it makes Adam in his image. If you would have seen this conduit yesterday, you would know that I spent some time cleaning it up. When God created Adam, come this way a little bit, guys, if you would. We'll move back in a minute because you're so far down there, nobody can see you anymore. Right there, that's good. Okay, right, you're Adam. There you go. Okay, so you, you see, he, he creates man. Now watch this. I, I talked about having to clean the conduit up. When God created the earth, how did he do that? The Bible says that he spoke it into existence. Let there be light, and there was light. But there comes to a part of creation that God does not speak into existence, but God gets his hands dirty. Everybody say man. And man is created from what? Huh? Dust and dirt would be another word for it. When it rains, it's mud. <laughs> and so God gets his hand dirty. Now, look, God knows. God, God knows his plan for Adam. Does God know that Adam's going to blow it? Yes, he does. But he stays true to his plan. Did God know you were going to blow it? Yes, he did. But he stayed true to his plan. What I want you to understand is God is bigger than you are. <laughs> oh, come on now. Say that a little bit louder. God is bigger than you are. Yes, God is bigger. Aren't you glad that God's bigger? You know, Adam has some kids, and they go on, and then all of a sudden the world keeps going, and the next thing you know, everybody's messed up. The Bible said that God was sorry that he'd ever made man. And so what God does is he finds this guy that's about 500 years old. Ed, come up here. He finds this guy that's about 500 years old, and he says, and, and, and he calls him, his name is Noah. <laughs> Uh, he may be old, but he ain't slow. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
Now, what God does is he says, you know what? The end of all flesh has come before me, but I'm going to make sure that it doesn't end here. Oh, you, oh, come on. It's not, do you understand? It didn't begin with you. It's not going to end with you. God has got a plan. So Noah comes along, and then after Noah is... Hang on just a second. Jim, where are you at, boy? Okay. No, that's not right. Okay, I got it. They was all supposed to be in order. Jim, get up here. Oh, there, thank you. Okay. So now what happens is he had, he has Adam. Adam messes up. The whole world messes up. And he hangs on to Noah. And he says, Noah finds grace in the eyes of God. And then all of a sudden, God starts mainstreaming the pipeline. He gets a guy by the name of Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of faith. He takes Abraham and he connects him in and he tells Abraham something unique. He tells Abraham that through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Do you realize that God's a lot bigger than we are? And this wasn't about what Abraham had to offer God. It was about what God had to offer Abraham. Now, what made that so powerful is because Abraham believed God. See, there's a huge difference in what happens in your life when you choose to believe God. God's got a plan for you, but if you won't believe it, you're going to find yourself floundering floundering in some ditch someplace. You've got to make up your mind that if God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Amen? And the truth is, is if God settles it, or if God said it, that settles it whether you believe it or not. But Abraham believed God. And because Abraham believed God, Abraham becomes the father of faith. You know, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, and Esau, and then Jacob comes into being. Run up here. Jacob, come on, Steve. If I point at you, this is, you have had a name change. So all of a sudden now, Jacob comes in and he gets connected into the pipe. There you go. Squeeze in tight. There you go. Jacob's in the pipe. And Jacob got chosen because he was so faithful and he was so honorable and he was such a good guy. No, Jacob is a liar and a deceiver. And that's no reflection on you. And, and, and so, but what God does is God's saying, I'm going to change who you are. When you get, when this stuff, when the source starts to flow through you, it changes who you are. You can't, you can't have that kind of flow going through your life and everything remain the same. It changes things. And so Jacob has 12 sons. Everybody say 12 sons. One of his sons' name is a small boy by the name of Judah. Now watch. He is he is the lion. Something's coming. I said something is coming 
and is going to meet us at the end of the conduit. <laughs> God's got a plan. And all of a sudden, Judas in that plan. Oh, oh and here, man, here, here we go right here. I need a, I need, Jason, come up here a second. Okay, Jason, salmon. Everybody say salmon. That's not right. Salmon. Sal, well, no, no, but how many of you know who, raise your hand if you know who Salmon is. Go sit down, nobody knows you. <laughs> but there is someone that they know, and it's who Salmon married. Married a girl with a wonderful reputation. Her name is Rahab. Rahab is a prostitute. Everybody say was. was. Because this is what you've got to understand. When God loves you just as he finds you, but he loves you too much to leave you the way he finds you, and so he changes you. This girl that had made her living by, an, by, by using her womanhood by trying to manipulate men all of a sudden has an encounter with God and she risks her life to save the men that came from, the, from Israel because she knows that their God is a God above all gods. And she just says, you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take a chance on God. I don't know whether or not he'll receive me because I'm not a Jew. I don't know whether or not he'll love me because I haven't done right all my life. I've been messed up. I, I've done everything wrong, but I'm just going to take a chance on God anyway. And you know what God did? God put her in the line. Oh, you need to hear what I'm saying. God isn't looking for you for all your qualifications and how great you are. So quit bragging on yourself. He doesn't care about how how, how well you can speak and how much knowledge you have. Any of you ever teach God anything? That's what he asked Job. Job understands what's going on, and, he just, and God just sits down and said, were you around when I created the morning? Can you make the waves come forth and stop them where they are? See, sometimes we get disillusioned because things happen that we don't understand. That doesn't make him any less God. He's still God. No matter what's going on, no matter what's happening in your life, he's still God. So all of a sudden, come on back up, Jesus. All of a sudden, from her, she has a child named Boaz. We all remember Boaz, right? Raise your hand if you do not know who Boaz is. Okay, one in the back. Go sit down. She still don't know who you are. But, but I do have someone here that you might recognize, Ruth. How many of you remember Ruth? So what happens is with Ruth, Ruth gets put in the line. Ruth is from the land of Moab. 
Obviously, you don't know anything about Moab. Moab is a place where they worship false gods. They offered their children as sacrifices. She married Naomi's sons, and, or one of his sons. And then they die, and Naomi's going home, and Ruth makes the profound statement. She says to Ruth, you go back to your people and to your God. And the one daughter-in-law goes back, but Ruth falls at Naomi's feet. And she said, I'm begging you, don't make me go back where I came from. I don't want to go back to my people. I don't want to go back to my God. Your people are going to be my people, and your God will be my God. And God saw her heart, and God rescued her. And you know what happened? You know what's unique about these two? They don't even belong here. What do you mean they don't belong? If you look in the book of Luke, the third chapter of Luke, the genealogy is all male. Not one woman is mentioned. But when you go into Matthew, the first chapter, Matthew makes a point of calling out different women. That's unheard of in Jewish culture. But God is trying to communicate something to us. Both these women are Gentiles. According to their own law, they didn't belong. But God, Jesus made a statement. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. And what you've had your mind wrapped around isn't what I intended at all. I'm getting ready to change everything. Through him, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Doesn't matter what side of the tracks you came from. Doesn't matter whether you got Reebok on or whether you're wearing you know, Walmart's finest. It's not about who you are. It's about who he is. And he recognizes faith. She said, let your God be my God. And guess what happened? That's exactly what he became, her God. Now, something unique happens because of Ruth doing that. She looks too young to be a great-grandma, doesn't she? But she is. She is a great-grandma. And guess who she is the great-grandma to? I'm pretty confident you'll be able to stay up here this time. His name is David. Everybody say David. And so God, through Ruth, her lineage passes to David. David is the king that is a man that's after God's own heart. And David never messes up. David never sins. He never transgresses. Well, I hope you're not going to go along with that. See, David messes up on a couple of times, on a few occasions. And his biggest mess up nearly got him strung up. His own son about took his life. But what God does is God shows something through David. God never forgot David's faithfulness. He never forgot David's heart. See, we think the only thing God remembers is what we did wrong. But years after David is gone... God keeps telling these other kings, you're not serving me like your father David did. Hundreds of years after David has passed from the scene, God keeps bringing David up because David may have passed from our scene, but he had not passed from God's scene. Do you understand that he is in the presence of God? And so David becomes that king, and 
Aren't you, how many of you in here are glad for something called forgiveness? Amen. How many of you'd like to get what you deserve? None of us want to get what we deserve, right? And so when David messed up with Bathsheba, God does something unique. God knew about the mess up. But when God forgives, he's willing to forget. The Bible said as far as the east is from the west, your mess up doesn't keep God or doesn't keep you from God's promise if you seek forgiveness. See, people talk about, well, you know, I mean, look at David. David said, yeah, but the thing you need to remember is David came looking for God's forgiveness. God, he asked God to forgive him, and he was willing to suffer the consequences. He said, let God do what seems right to him. And what God did is because he knew David's heart, God forgave him, and he takes a son from this woman called Bathsheba, and sets him on the throne and names him, well, his name is Solomon. I, I, I wish I had put the other name because God had his own private name for Solomon. It was Jedediah. See, you may know people one way, but God knows them another. <laughs> you may look at the outside and make your assumptions and draw your conclusions, but God searches the heart and he knows us from the inside out, not from the outside in. And Solomon comes to the throne. All this just keeps going on, and you think, where is it ever going to end? It's a good question. Because all of a sudden now, after, after Solomon, comes a man by the name of Uzziah. Let me borrow you a minute. Uzziah is a king. Jump in there, Uzziah. Uzziah does something boneheaded. Nothing, no reflection. And what, what Uzziah does is Uzziah makes up his mind, I'm just going to be king and priest. I'm just going to fill both. I'm going to take care of it. And he goes in and he starts offering a sacrifice when he wasn't supposed to. When the priest came in and called his hand on it, Uzziah goes to speak against him, and, and, and all of a sudden he became lepers. Why in the world would someone like that be in the lineage? God's not trying to hide anything, folks. What God is trying to show you is that his grace is sufficient. <laughs> that his grace is enough. As a matter of fact, it's more than enough. Everybody say grace. You're not saved because of how good you are. And no matter how bad you are, that can't keep you from being saved if you embrace the grace of God. And so the grace of God touches Uzziah's life. He's part of, becomes part of the process. And then after Uzziah, can I borrow him? Will he come up here? Would he come up here? Can I borrow you just a second? Would you help me out? Maybe not. Okay, how about, how about right there? Would you come help me? Come, thank you. I think I just rent whatever he was playing. <laughs> okay. 
So there's a, there, there's a, a, a young man that comes. Come on up here. And I'm thinking, this, he's going to be a king. Everybody say king. Y'all going to have to lower your expectations a little bit here. And so his name is Josiah. Josiah is like seven, eight years old, comes into the kingdom, and God uses him. I want you to hear me. I hope that you never feel like God can't use me because I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm not smart enough or I'm not talented enough. I can't speak eloquently. Paul said, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquent words of man's wisdom, but I came in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. What was Paul saying? Paul's saying, this has never been about me. It's always been about God. It's always been about the source. And here comes this little young man uh, and sets on the king, uh, uh, the throne of David, and God uses him. And it just keeps moving on. And then finally, there is, there, we, we get to a place where, let me borrow you a second. There's a, there's a man that shows up. And his name is, read it, Joseph. Everybody say Joseph. Now, Joseph is in the lineage of David. Jesus is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Is Joseph Jesus' father? Huh? No. If you just, just stand here a minute, Joseph. Mary. You see, what God did is God found a little teenage girl by the name of Mary. And he speaks to her and says, you're going to have a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. Joseph is engaged to her. Stand behind her if you would. Joseph is engaged to her. Joseph isn't buying this stuff about, I got this way because the Spirit of the Lord overshadowed me. He can have her put to death, but he loves her and he doesn't want to. So he's going to put her away privately until an angel shows up and tells him, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what she's carrying is from God. <laughs> let, let me take a minute here and ask you what you're carrying. Is what you're carrying from God or is it a grudge you're carrying? Is it bitterness you're carrying? Is it unforgiveness that you carry? Because if you carry those things, those aren't from God. You say, well, I got a right. You've got no right. You know, the only one that had a right was him. He had a right to forget all about this. 
He had a right at the beginning to say, you blew it. I'm not going to mess with you anymore. But he doesn't do that. He's not like man. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't throw us away. What he says is I'm powerful enough and I've got enough strength to be able to bypass everything that you mess up. And I'm going to show you that in spite of your mess up, I can fix you up. I can change you. I can transform you and make you who I called you to be. And so finally, at the end of the conduit, there comes a man named Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Hang on a second. Can you read that? Everybody say that's Jesus. Yeah, hold your son a minute. <laughs> Jesus comes, and you say, well, wait a minute, man. Jesus is pointed in the wrong directions. He, he's pointed down. He came to save fallen men. He lowered himself. He left his kingdom, and he came and took on flesh. They looked at him, and they didn't like him. Jesus said, I came to my own, and my own received me not. So they make up their mind that it's not here. They make up their mind. Huh? No, that's not the one I'm after. Hang on. Just stay with me a second. Sometimes you have to improvise. They make up their mind that they're going to stop Jesus. Everybody say, you ever, do you ever have your mama come up to you? Oh, thank you. Do you ever have your mother come up to you? And uh, can I, oh, I better not do that to you. You won't like me. <laughs> do you ever have your mom come up to you? And, who, who, who in here won't get offended? Jasmine, I know you won't get offended. Come on. <laughs> Do you ever have your mom come up to you and say, you know, I've heard about enough of your mouth? Yes. <laughs> no, no, that, I know that never happened. Use your imagination. Oh, really? <laughs> just said, I'm, we're just going to put a stop to this right now. How many of you, well, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many of you have ever had your mouth taped shut? Oh, praise God, man. There are all kinds of people in here. Woo. Gentle. She said gentle. So she has, they decide they're going to stop Jesus. They don't like what he's saying. It's been a long time since anybody's challenged them. They got their own way of doing things now. Pharisees not only obey the law of Moses, they created a law of their own. They decided Moses' law wasn't strict enough. They just said, you know what, we're just going to shut him up. We're going to stop him. So what they do is they take and they put spikes through his hands. A spear pierces his side, and they bury him in a tomb and say, it's over. Everybody say, it's over. 
You don't really believe that, do you? Let me read to you what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 2 and 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What happens when we refuse to meet him at the end of the conduit? We're left broken and empty. He said, they've done two evils. They have forgotten me, the fountain of living water, and now they've got broken cisterns. They're empty and they're broken. See, sometimes we like doing things our own way. Any of you in here ever been put out with God because of the way he did something? Be, be honest, do you ever have someone you were upset with and when God didn't zap them, you got a little upset with God? I thought, surely, I, I thought you were going to, you know, I mean, I wasn't talking about killing them or nothing. Just lay them up for a few months. Just, just you know, just, we, we've got our own way of doing And I am so glad that we are not God. Because if we were God, we'd all be in a mess. None of us would be. We, we probably wouldn't even come to church with each other. Because we'd say, man, I can't hardly stand the way you act like God. Oh, no, none of us really act like God, do we? But sometimes we act like we know more than God knows. Because when he does something, when something happens in our life that we don't understand, we get put out with it and we shut down on him. We leave that fountain. And yet without that fountain, we're broken and empty. Jesus meets a woman at a well. And he looks at her and he says, give me drink. And she looks at him and she said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't have anything to do with each other. God help us. We don't have anything to do with one another. And he looked at her and he said, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for water, and I would give you water that, you would, that would cause you to never come back to this place again. You would never thirst again. And she said, give me this water. What she's saying, I'm tired of life the way it is. I need a change in my life. And coming back to the same old well hasn't changed me at all. you got to make up your mind that I'm ready for God to touch me. I'm ready for God to change me. I'm ready for a new beginning. Seventh chapter of John, Jesus is at the great feast, the festival, and he looks at everyone going through all the rituals. What a group of folks we have up here. What a group, a guy that can't get it right. He hasn't been around hardly at all, and he's messed up. Another guy that, that finds grace in his eyes, and then after he finds grace, he ends up getting drunk and hanging his saw up. Oh, no, see, we only highlight the good things about each other, right? But there's some mess in our lives. A guy that's a cheat, another guy that's mess. Well, never mind what he did, but <laughs> two women that shouldn't be here, a guy that's supposed to be wise, got 700 wives. What kind of wisdom is that? Another guy that ends up with leprosy because of disobedience, a young boy that thinks he can rule a kingdom, Mary that's 
you know, just a teenage girl, and she thinks she's going to bring birth to the Son of God. And the guy in the background that's trusting what an angel said and not understanding any of it. And Jesus, Jesus coming and being ill-treated, Jesus coming and loving and getting hate in return. And it seems like, for what? But at the end of that feast, the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up among them. And it says that he cried with a loud voice and he said, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and I will give him drink and it'll be like a fountain of living waters that's springing up out of him. What's he saying? He's saying, I came for a purpose. God's got a plan. I know they tried to shut it down. I know they thought, well, we're just going to shut him up. We buried him in a tomb. I need to get in here. Where are you, God? And all of a sudden, now what we, what we forgot, what we weren't counting on is who Jesus was. The scripture says that he is the express image of an invisible God. The Bible talks about that he was made flesh, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. What's going on? Oh, sorry, you all right? They forgot that God had a direct line to Christ. That what Jesus received didn't come through just a natural process. That's why Joseph isn't, he's on the backside of this pipe. He's not just the son of man. He is the son of God. He has a direct line that goes to Jesus. And when everybody else tried to shut him down, the grave couldn't hold him. They thought they had him. They thought it was over. But can you imagine the fear that gripped the devil when after he's buried, all of a sudden a knock comes at the gate of hell and somebody peeps out the peephole and says, hey, we got some problems. He's not dead. He's still alive. I'm at the end of the conduit. And at the end of the conduit is power. At the end of the conduit is life. He came back with the keys. What's he saying to us? Meet me at the end of the conduit. I've got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Meet me at the end of the conduit. Stay with me. I'm about to wrap it up. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 20, listen to this. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. You not get that. God is pleading through us. What's it saying? He's saying, we got connected to the conduit. We're at the end of the conduit, and now God is flowing through us. Through us to implore on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. What's going on? He's saying, look, Paul makes it say, it says it this way. Now to him who's able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that you're able to ask or think according to the <laughs> according to the power that works in us 
Christ in us, the hope of glory, Christ in us. And so what I'm saying today is how many of you are ready to meet me at the end of the conduit? Would you stand with me right now? Whoops. At the end of the conduit, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. You're in this building today. How many of you have ever, I wish, I, I wish there was a way that I could have hooked this up to water and I thought about it. You can go ahead and lay it down, guys. Let me have Jesus. I thought, thank you all. Give them a big hand, would you? Thank you. I thought if, if there was a way to get like a fireman's hose, and crank it on so you could feel the pressure that's blowing out everything that's wrong with us, that's cleansing everything that's in us, and that's flowing directly from the throne of God to Him. We were supposed to do a water balloon fight at, uh, not fight, uh, water balloon exchange at the end of VBS. And I thought about filling up all those water balloons. And I thought, man, alive, we're going to have to have hundreds of water, a bunch of water balloons. And I, my, my memory went back to being a kid standing at a faucet trying to fill them up one at a time. Went into Walmart and I saw something I hadn't seen before. I saw this apparatus that you screw on a hose. It's got a hundred water balloons attached to it. And it fills them all up at the same time. And when they're full, they just pop off <laughs> and waddle around a little bit. <laughs> what are you getting at? I'm saying that's where God wants us. In Christ, it's not just one hose coming now. It's not just one pipe coming. To me, it's not me a hold of Jesus and then Ray a hold of me and somebody else a hold of Ray. No, no. It's all of us connected to Christ and there's so much power and there's so much... There's such a flow that he's touching thousands and millions at the same time. All across this nation today, in churches all across America, people are preaching and talking about Jesus and being filled up. In some churches, they've stopped the flow. That doesn't matter to me because I'm going to stay under the spout where the glory comes out. I'm going to continue to trust and believe in God. Now hear me say, Pastor, why this message now? Because just like they did to Jesus, they're trying to do to us. The culture of the day is trying to shut us up. You're not, a community just recently called for a prayer meeting because of all the crime that was overtaking their community. Firemen and police officers showed up. I think even the mayor of the city came out and, and joined everyone in prayer. And then a group of people that say there is no God filed a lawsuit against them for praying to someone they say don't exist. Isn't that the great paradox? 
If he doesn't exist, why does it bother you so much when somebody talks to him? If you say he's not real, why would you spend your time fighting someone that's not real unless you're just completely an idiot? Why would you spend your time fighting against someone that you claim does not exist? Because deep down in your heart, you know he's real, you know he's alive, and you know you can't stop him. Because at the end of the conduit, Christ lives. And he lives in us. So what God is saying is get down here and get filled up. I need you to start squeezing out what I poured into you. You don't get to come into church. You ever have a tick on you before? I, this, this sounds a little gross, but I knew a guy got a tick on his back and he didn't know it was there until the thing. Had you ever see a tick on a dog that had, that's about that big around? You know, it, what it's done is it's sucked the life out of him. The Bible says the life is in the blood. A tick is a blood sucker. And so he's trying to take the life out. And what's happening is we're living in a time where they're trying to take the life out of the church. They're trying to, it's like little parasites that attach and try and drain you dry. What I'm telling you is this blood doesn't stop flowing. <laughs> I'm telling you say, well, what do you do about those ticks? Oh, just let them hang on because after a while, they're going to pop. <laughs> they're going to, they're fixing to be a, well, no, I mean, not, I better not go there. God in us, the hope of glory. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want to be a part of that flow then I'm going to ask you to meet me at the end of the conduit this morning. So they sing this song, I want you to come right now. Would you do it? Just come quickly. What you're saying by coming is, I want God to use me. I want my life to have an impact on the lives of others. I was preaching one time and I had a man from Russia come up to me and when he came, and I really didn't know how to take what he just said to me. And I preached my heart out, man, and he, he walks up to me and he grabs me and he's shaking my hand and he looks at me and he said, that was a wonderful performance. I thought, I wasn't acting. It's real. See, sometimes folks just go through the motions but when it gets real to you you hear me you'll cause it to become real to others when he becomes alive inside of you you'll make him come alive inside others I've watched folks look at me and I, I've had them grab my hands and say, stop, don't come any closer to me. What's going on? The flow. They're starting to feel the presence of God. How is Debbie able to go into restaurants and grocery stores 
and engage people and all of a sudden they're giving their hearts to God in the middle of a public place because it's the flow it doesn't just happen inside four walls of a church it happens wherever you go because you're part of it you raise your hands to heaven with me right now and begin to pray this prayer with me father we come to you now in Jesus name and we're asking you to flow through us Lord let it your spirit be alive in us fill us up and help us to pour it out to others I don't want to be just sitting on a pew I don't want to just talk about you I want my life to reflect you I want to be able to feel you and sense your power so I can share that with others use us God we pray minister us today and we promise that we will not just soak it up and keep it to ourselves but we will share it wherever we go and wherever we're at to declare you're alive and you're well and you're ruling on the throne in Jesus name come on give my hand clap of praise in this house today I want to give you I want to give you a word in the weeks ahead you're going to begin to experience something there is a hunger that's coming on the land and you're going to find people that are out of sorts beside themselves and God is going to give you the opportunity to pour into them make sure you're carrying the right thing make sure you're at the end of the right conduit it's not about you it's all about him it's not about all the mistakes you've made it's about how he saved you through it all and if he touched you and saved you, he'll do it for others, won't he? So as you stretch your hands to heaven with me, say, God, these hands are your hands. I'm asking you to use me to minister to others. Now what I want you to do is take someone by the hand right now. Would you do it? Just reach across and take someone by the hand. Because the Bible says that one can put a thousand flight and two ten thousand. God is going to move through you. Are you ready for it? Begin to pray for one another right now. Would you do it? Take a moment and just begin to pray for one another. Come on, lift your voice. Lift oh, your voice. Can you feel it? Heaven is reaching. Oh, can you hear it? Our God is speaking. Oh, can you see it? He's got your receive it receive the freedom oh can you feel it heaven is reaching oh can you hear it our God is speaking oh can you see it he's got to heal it oh just receive it receive the freedom Oh
how many of you know that God is a healer? Amen. And Miss Erlene is experiencing healing. She's already had God dissolve blood clots in her body and tumors. There's a cancer that God's working on right now. I believe that with all my heart and that God is going to dissolve that thing. Would you stretch your hands to heaven with me right now and believe with me that God is doing this work in her? Father, I feel it all. Thank you for it. work is when we're connected to the conduit without him we've got nothing and if we here here's the thing and I'm gonna let you go but I want you to get this we've got to be careful that we don't get our minds so set on doing things our way that we're missing what God is trying to do we also have to make sure that we're serving God humbly so he can use us because the Bible said that he resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. I'm well aware that the only reason that God touches my life is because I'm painfully aware of how insufficient I am without him. I know better than anybody that without him I have nothing and I can do nothing. But I also know what Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So I'm going to stay connected. How about you? Come on, go ahead and raise those hands and say, I just want to be connected, God. I just want to be connected. God bless you today. We love you.
for just a second. Don't forget the lynch meeting in the chapel. If you're going on that mission trip, I need to see you in the chapel.